5: That number to call, area code 866 423 9578. Area code 866 423 9578 to be on the air Bible Talk with Pastor Emory Moss. Welcome. Uh, Welcome to the Bible Talk program. That's right, that's where you are. uh, Program where we discuss the Bible, theology, Christian living, church history and whatever questions that you want to put on the table are welcome here on this program. Of course, this is our Thursday rendition, and on this day we move out of the way for 30 solid minutes and get into the theological mind of my good friend, Jerome Smith, who is with us, by the way, right now. How are you doing, Mr. Smith?
3: Very well, Pastor Moss. We might as well dig right in. I've got some surprises for the audience and for you. All right. And the all first right. matter so oh, I'm going to start with is a familiar passage that you probably know by heart, huh. and the whole audience has certainly heard it repeatedly. Uh-huh. It's found in the Gospel of Luke, chapter hey. 1, verse 32 and 33. Okay. Where it okay. says, He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest, And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. Verse 33, And he shall reign over the house of Jacob. Now I stopped there on purpose, because I got a little story about that verse. Many years ago, more than 30 years I'm sure, probably 34, 35 years ago, My family was listening to a program about Bible prophecy, and the speaker on that program was Dr. Kenneth B. Shore. Okay. I remember years ago I bought a a, uh, prophecy Bible that he had edited, and I have that up here in my library room. But notice I stopped and left a few words out, but let me tell my story. Okay. (laughs) In the dining room, we had our stereo set up back then. We don't have anything like that there now. Done a lot of remodeling since then and so forth. But the program went on, and those verses were read, and Dr. B. Shore continued to explain those verses. And our young, very young son, Tim, my oldest son, he ran into the kitchen and he said, Mommy, Daddy, Dr. B. didn't finish the verse. <laughs> and we were surprised that somebody his age, I mean, he hadn't started school yet, and wow. uh, he knew that, that those words were missing.
5: <laughs>
3: and when it was time for the program, he'd walk us over to the stereo and point to the unit and he'd say, That's the Dr. B. Shore button. Because that's where we always tuned it in and we left it set there. <laughs> <laughs> we enjoyed hearing his program about Bible prophecy every week. But I want to tell you, Dr. Bishore isn't the only one that stops reading there. I mean, I'm sure people finish the verse. Let me read the verse again in full. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. Semicolon. And then what follows says. And of his kingdom, there shall be no end. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right, Pastor Moss, I'm going to give you a little tiny quiz question. (laughs) Okay, don't make it too hard. Nope. (laughs) How long is Christ going to reign upon the earth? Well,
5: if we look at Revelation chapter 20, we know at least for a thousand years, I would say,
3: uh, uh, during the millennium, Yep, now, you're right. Yeah, okay. However, he is going to reign for the thousand years, but that's only the time when Satan is bound and you know, put out of the way. But actually Christ is going to rule on the earth forever. That's right. It's not just a thousand years, but uh-huh. forever. Yeah, exactly right. And the closing part of that verse is and of his kingdom, there shall be no end. Now, that's a significant statement after the word forever, because the word forever is sometimes used in a limited sense. But most times it's used in with an eternal significance, as in this case, because certainly if forever, if you quibble about that, well, the next clause tells you, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Uh, so I guess forever, there's there's, used, there's no argument there. Beings, if it's
5: used by human beings, we might be we might say forever, just meaning our earthly existence. But here, you're saying it means, of course, it just it means what it means
3: forever throughout eternity. Yeah, that's right. Now let me give you just a few verses to back up what I'm saying in Isaiah nine seven. It says of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth, even forever. The seal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Now, that's a famous verse. We've all heard it, I'm sure. Psalm 89, 36 his seed shall endure forever and his throne as the sun before me Daniel 7:14 and there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people nations and languages should serve him his dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. So you see, it's pretty well stated in such a way you can't get around it. Micah 4 7, and I will make her that halted a remnant, and her that was cast far off a strong nation, and the Lord shall reign over them in Mount Zion from henceforth, even forever. And the last verse that I'll use in this series is Revelation chapter 11, verse 15. And the seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Wow. that's so okay. There you have just a few of the verses that prove it. <laughs> All oh, right. Wow. That's the first matter. That was an easy one. <laughs> now to continue from what we were doing last week, you remember we were talking about rules of interpretation, and we were delving quite deeply into figures of speech. When uh-huh. the clock stopped us, that's and right. Where it stopped us was where we started to talk about Second Peter, chapter three, verse seven, verse ten. In verse 13, and the main point, to state it briefly and simply, is this earth <clears throat> will never be totally destroyed. Therefore, the new earth and the new heaven are renewed, not recreated from scratch. Uh-huh. Yep. You know, people are going to have to adjust their prophetic understanding based on these two issues that I brought forward. Christ is going to reign forever, not merely a thousand years, on this earth. Mm-hmm. And this earth will never be totally destroyed.
5: But, yeah, now, for right. proof
3: that the earth will never be totally destroyed, we turn to Second Peter 3-7 to see just what that fire is going to burn up. He says in Second Peter 3-7, But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. It doesn't say the whole planet. The point is that the works of the ungodly and the ungodly themselves are the ones that are going to be destroyed, not the whole planet. So, in other words, God created
5: the earth for a reason, and we see him accomplishing uh, the purpose for which he first started out.
3: That's right, and he doesn't have to undo the whole thing. (laughs) You know, if you look into various theologies that people have held since, say, the 19th century, the 1800s, there are some groups that have taught that all the Christians will be taken off the earth and placed in heaven, and some say for a thousand years, some say for seven years, some say forever, so there's lots of different opinions, and there are just many views that are held by different groups, and sometimes they mix up each other's ideas and put them all together, and it comes out quite strange.
5: Well, what happens is, it's it, it <laughs> so good, uh, uh, Mr. Smith, because of the fact that typically in the Christian church, I, I, I feel, there are people who always looked upon heaven as us, the earth will be destroyed and all of us will be in heaven. And so that's where we're going to be living in heaven. Not realizing, I guess the way to to, to say it, and you can uh, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, that what we're, really we're talking about is that heaven and earth are going to be kind of together. Okay? And so uh God did not create the earth for anything. He created it for uh he didn't create it to be obliterated. He created it for mankind. And uh we see this uh, coming to fruition when we look into the future. And what is amazing about this is that uh here you have Peter almost sounding like John in the book of Revelation, don't you?
3: That's right. Now then we've dealt with verse 7. Pretty much, I would just call attention to the fact that last week we were looking at Psalm one hundred and two twenty-five, where it says, Of old hast thou laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of thy hands. And then verse 26 said, They shall perish, but thou shalt endure. But notice that word, but. Remember we talked about litotus and meiosis, I guess it was. Uh, they shall perish but. when you see that but there, you know that the first clause in a balanced sentence is stating something that is contrary to fact in order to emphasize what's in the second clause, which says, but thou shalt endure. So God and Christ will never end, of course. Uh Now, that verse is quoted in the New Testament and so forth but and and people take that and they forget that there's another verse that follows two more verses that follows when you to reach the end of the chapter and you've got to understand the rest of that context in order to understand the meaning of the bible prophecy there but we talked about that last week so I won't delve into that further this week but I do want to move to verse okay Which says, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise and the elements shall melt with fervent heat the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up yeah. now, if you take that verse all by itself it sounds like good heavens that's the end of the earth you're right. If you just uh, would take Second Peter 3
5: uh, and, and uh, 10 like that, it, it does look like it's just over for the earth,
3: yeah. Yeah. So then if you read verse 11, it says, Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons you ought to be in all holy conversation and godliness. And that, by the way, is one of the reasons to study Bible prophecy, because if you study it carefully... You'll see it leads to the conviction that we need to live holy lives. We need to follow the Lord in terms of what He commands us in the Old and New Testament, particularly the New. You remember, there's a verse over in Hebrews twelve fourteen that says something follow like follow peace with all men and uh-huh. holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. That's right. Now that being Stated that way, holiness without which no man shall see the Lord, you can see how important a concept that is. And so Peter stresses it too, what manner of persons you ought to be in all holy conversation, that means manner of life, and godliness. Then he says, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, verse 13, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness.
5: Well, well Mr. Smith, let me ask you a question right there, because you've got me thinking about this. It is so clear in the text when you bring this out, especially looking here in Second uh, Peter 3 uh, and 13. Where is it that in all the... Uh, Uh, movies that we've seen usually, especially the classic films that talk about heaven and, uh, you know, always they have heaven is up in the sky, and none of it contains a a remade earth. Why is it that with a clear statement like this, that there's a new heavens and a new earth, that uh, we have many people in, in the world who say, we're going to heaven, we're not, we're going to heaven, we're going to heaven, not realizing that heaven will be comprised of a new heaven and a new earth. What accounts for that when the Bible is so clear
3: on it? I think it's because of the various theologies that were developed, even from the time of the Reformation, and that you're reflecting what they understood and knew in their day with as much study as they gave it. Now, I've had people try to argue with me and say that they go by what the Reformers taught, and that's good enough for them. Well... Mm -hmm. The Reformation has to keep on continuing, Pastor Moss, because they didn't know everything that's in the Bible, and probably neither do we, but we might know some things they didn't, because we've had several hundred years now since the Reformation. Well, what is it, half a century? I mean, half a millennium is what I meant, 500 years or so? uh, To learn a whole lot more, Bible prophecy was not their focus at that time, and so They simply taught it as they had learned it, and a lot of the learning was not Uh, in-depth. The early church, back in the time of the 1st century and 2nd century and perhaps 50 years into the 3rd century, had it right. They believed that God would restore Israel literally Uh to their land. That's right. But shortly after that, due to influences like people like Ignatius, and I think that's the one I'm thinking of, and others, uh, the Roman Catholic Church that began to develop back then, it really wasn't the Roman Catholic Church till about the year 600, but uh-huh. before that time, during that interim, they figured they were in charge of the whole show, and they didn't want any notion of a literal millennium on Earth where they weren't in charge. Yeah, yeah. If you read Peter's The Theocratic Kingdom, and you look up in the indexes in the back in the third volume and look for a person named Daniel Whitby, W-H-I-T-B-Y, he was a significant person, in impacting the church's understanding of Bible prophecy in the wrong direction. Uh But it's a direction that he started back then and is still largely here with us today. It's called replacement theology, that the church has replaced Israel in the plan of God and in the prophecies of God. And so all the good things that were prophesied to happen to Israel are now the property of the church, and the bad things are the property of Israel or maybe not going to happen at all. Well, wow. I'm kind of abbreviating everything, but if you read in Peter's about that, you will learn some new things about church history you never heard of before. Well, I, I was it, surprised
5: I found out about it, but it seems like Luther uh did not uh favor uh the uh an earthly millennial uh either. He thought it was a, a kind of a carnal doctrine if I'm correct.
3: Yep, that's right. And you'll find commentaries on the book of Acts that comment on Acts chapter 1, verse 6, frequently say that the disciples were exhibiting a carnal belief because they were asking Jesus when the kingdom would be set up for Israel. And yet he had just spent 40 days teaching them about the kingdom of God. And you're going that's to right. accuse those disciples of being carnal in their understanding and asking a foolish question? You aren't thinking very clearly if that's the direction you go, but a good many commentaries do. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's,
5: I think it's important uh, for, for, for people to know that uh, even though there's a lot of things that we uh, understand uh, better now, uh, there was a process of the Church arriving at uh, uh, some of these things that are pretty clear to me in Scripture.
3: Yes, and you'll find in different ages, Pastor Moss, there was an emphasis on different things. Like at the time of the Council of Nicaea, the emphasis at that time was the person of Christ, the doctrine of Christ, the hypostatic union, they call it, the fact that Christ was both human and divine at the same time when he was on earth and so forth. And each different age succeeding has had a major emphasis on whatever it may have been. So, yep, you're right. What we're saying is that Peter states that these predictions are according to his promise. And so to properly understand the predictions, we must carefully consider the promise to which he refers. The only passages of the Old Testament which refer to the Creation of a new heavens and earth preceded by a destruction by fire are found in Isaiah, chapter 65, about verses 7 to 19. Sometimes you have to back up a verse before that in order to get the impact. And also Uh, Isaiah, chapter 66, verses 16 and 17 and 22. And if you study those Old Testament prophecies... Those are the promises that Peter is referring to. And those passages in the ending there of Isaiah are the ones that teach that the conflagration and all that happens before the millennium, not after. Now that's something that you don't hear very many people teaching about today. Uh-huh. But, mm-hmm. but that is most certainly what the scriptures teach.
5: Well, what happens is that there's so uh, much of an emphasis on the book of Revelation itself until uh, people forget, you're right, that Isaiah, Jeremiah, Zechariah, all of them talked about prophecy. And here, uh, here in Peter, Peter sounds like John <laughs> in chapter 3, yeah. uh, where he talks about the new heavens and the new earth. So, and, and, uh, and, and then, of course, it is fantastic how the scriptures just all fit together. Uh, and this is what uh, we're finding out in our prophecy class that we have on Tuesday. That it is just amazing how the unity that, uh, if you look at just what the Bible says in all of this over this long uh, span of time.
3: Yes, and you probably, if your ear was carefully tuned to the verses I read you earlier in in this program, you could hear expressions in different places in the different verses that I read from Isaiah and Micah and the Book of Revelation and so forth. They use similar words, similar expressions, and so there really is a tie-in from the Old Testament to the New. Now, let me tell you a little secret about the Book of Revelation.
6: Okay, everybody's going to to notice.
3: (laughs) It utilizes something called intentional obscurity. Mm. And uh, that's a very interesting feature. We find it in... Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter, I believe it's 15, verse 24, which many people, including the Jehovah's Witnesses, try to use against some of the things we believe because they and many others misinterpret the verse because Paul there is using intentional obscurity. He isn't making it plain, but his readers know what he's talking about. And people that have studied the Bible carefully enough, they know what he's talking about, so they understand what's going on. In the book of Revelation, the order of events in chapter 21 and 22 is kind of put out of sequence because of this matter called intentional obscurity. Now you say, well, why would they have to do that? Well, the answer is, that they needed to be very careful that should these manuscripts of the New Testament books that Paul wrote and John wrote and Peter wrote and so on fall into the wrong hands, they didn't want Rome coming down on them or the Jews finding them out and saying, well, look at these Christians, they're teaching things that show that they don't believe that Rome is the main government that we have to honor.
5: Oh, okay, David. I see. Because it looks like they could be writing something that could be perceived as being seditious to try to overthrow Rome.
3: Yeah. Mm. And if you look in your new treasury, I'm pretty sure you have one. Oh, yeah. And and if you look in the subject index under intentional obscurity, I'm hoping I put that entry in there, Uh, it'll lead you to all the Passages that I found that uh, deal with that.
5: <laughs> well, the, the trouble I have with the New Treasury is it, it's so it's so large and has so much material. So, Mister Smith, I'll start work, looking for one thing and then find a, a lot of other things that are so interesting. I don't get to what I'm looking for. <laughs> yeah,
3: <laughs> that's the whole delight of using it, though, Pastor Moss. It'll bring you to places that you hadn't intended to look and. When you see their connections, you'll learn ever so much more.
5: <laughs> I mean, not tell the folks, how can they get their hands on the new treasury?
3: Well, if you want a hardbound copy like it originally was produced, you're going to have to spend some big money sometimes because it's been out of print since about 1999, which is a terrible thing. I had anticipated that the publisher would keep it in print forever, just like they do Strong's Concordance. But they didn't. However, it is available from Nelson as a what they call an app. Now, I don't know too much about apps, Pastor Moss, because I'm not into that modern electronic stuff quite as much as the younger folks are, but they would know what I'm talking about. You can also get it as a, uh, well, just like a book in, in the Logos Bible software. Okay. And in Locus, it costs about $30, and I suppose the price might be about the same in Nelson. So you can get the electronic version of it. The other way you can get it is I did an expansion called the Ultimate Cross-Reference Treasury, which yeah. now has over 900,000 cross-references in it. And you can get that at dot com. Okay. Yeah. So that's.
5: Our time has run out, my friend, I'm telling you. It's just what you've talked about today is fascinating. I look forward to talking to you again uh, uh, on Thursday, uh, next Thursday. But this is some some good stuff. Thank you very much.
3: Well, thank you, Pastor Moss. That time sure went by quick, didn't it?
5: (laughs) It always goes by fast when you're having fun.
3: (laughs) Well, thank you again for allowing me to speak to your audience.
5: Okay, thank you. We appreciate it. All right. Remember to call area code 866-423-9578. We're going to take a break. And we'll be right back.
2: This is Jerry Boyer of Town Hall Finance for Townhall.com. Inflation is not a problem. So says our monetary central planners. Well, I guess it's not much of a problem unless you want to buy a home, drive a car, or eat food. Home prices are up over twenty percent in the past year. Home prices under $300,000 were almost half of all sales a year ago. Now, they're only about a fourth. We're seeing the death of the starter home right before our eyes. But don't blame the builders. Lumber prices are shooting up much faster than home prices, squeezing the profit margin of the building industry. In his presidential debate against Jimmy Carter, the GOP nominee Ronald Reagan said, We don't have inflation because the people are living too well. We have inflation because the government is living too well. Well, now we have a repeat of Carteronomics and we're going to need a repeat of Reaganomics. I'm Jerry Boyer.
4: publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu fellow Americans with an IRA or 401k, Biden has a history of backstabbing retirees and now he's eyeing down your retirement account as part of his new tax plan to raise $3.3 trillion in added taxes. Don't get caught flat-footed. Learn how you can protect and secure your life savings with safe haven assets like physical gold and silver. Call 855-910-9047 now and speak to a professional at Gold Co. Representatives are standing by to give every caller a free precious metals ira guide with steps you can take to secure your financial future with precious metals call 855-910-9047 now the pros at gold co have helped thousands of satisfied americans own gold and silver inside their portfolios both tax and penalty free Pick up your phone now and dial 855-910-9047. Representatives are standing by to assist you. Call 855-910-9047.
6: Hello, Detroit. For the first time in history, you can impact on how district maps will be drawn in Michigan. Come, learn, and address the Michigan Independent Citizens Redistricting Commission about its role in drawing maps for Michigan's Congressional, Senate, and House districts. Meetings will be held in multiple locations throughout the area. You can attend in person, online, or via telephone. You draw the line, your district, your voice, your future. For more information, visit www.michigan.gov micrc or call 833 You draw That's
5: number to call area code 866-423-9578 area code 866-423-9578 to be on the air bible talk with pastor emmy moss just got off the uh, phone talking with a good good friend of mine uh jerome smith a scholar in his own right author of uh, the uh, great book uh treasury scripture knowledge wow i was with him <laughs> when he was putting this together and uh, when I saw what he was doing, I knew I couldn't help him. I mean, he was he put all these pages together. Oh, it, was, it just was awesome. Good to uh, know him. Good to have him contributing on this program. Of course, if you have any questions about the Bible, questions about the Word of God, you can call right now at area code 866-423-9578. We did get into some discussion of uh, prophecy. Needless to say, uh, talking about hermeneutics. Uh, And, uh, of course, hermeneutics is needed for studying a a, a bunch of biblical things. So uh, we appreciate what Mr. Smith shared with us, and he will be sharing with us again. Now I have some questions. What I'd like to do, of course, is to uh, help you it help myself at the same time be able to answer questions that people are going to inevitably ask you. I've always said that uh, the Bible Talk program wants to be the Sunday school teacher's Best friend. That's right. Listen to this, and hopefully you will be able to deal with questions that come at you. I know how it is, Sunday school teachers. You study, you study, you plan your lesson. You come in with your lesson. You're ready with your lesson. But then when you get there to teach your lesson, someone raises their hand. Usually the teenagers, right? And they ask you a question about something you didn't study. Why? Well, because well, because of the fact they figure since you're the teacher you should know, uh, and to be a teacher of a single Sunday school lesson, you still have to have a pretty well-rounded approach to the whole Bible. That's true, because they will ask you questions all over the place. Now, remember, nothing's wrong with saying to anybody, well, I don't have it this Sunday, but I'll have it next Sunday. <laughs> but what I want to do is help you, if I can, to close that gap, if you can, by just um, giving to you the kinds of questions that people may ask you okay, in a teaching session whether it be Sunday school or just a Bible study, all right? And here's one. Here's one from the Christian living arena, all right, dealing with uh, questions about marriage and relationships. What does the Bible say about interracial marriage? That's the way the question would come to you. What does the Bible say about interracial marriage? Now, if you think you know what the Bible says about interracial marriage, then you can give me a call right now at area code 866 866- Four two three nine five seven eight. Area code eight six six four two three nine five seven eight. Or if you want to comment on this subject at all, but before you even do that, all right, I'm going to tell you something. The question: What does the Bible say about interracial marriage? Let me tell you this: The Bible absolutely, absolutely, does not say a thing, a single thing, against inter. Racial marriage. That's right. The Bible does not say anything about interracial marriage. Okay? In other words, because why? Because in the Bible, there's only one race, the human race. So it's no such thing as a person being rejected uh, because of their background, their racial background. Okay? We need to recognize that. In fact, uh, if we go to uh, Numbers, Uh, chapter 12, it's very interesting, where it says in Numbers 12 and 1, remember this, you Bible readers, where it says, and Miriam and Aaron spake against Moses, remember that? Because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married, for he had married an Ethiopian woman. Now, why did they have to bother him about that? Now, their problem, understand this now, Their problem, the problem that Miriam and Aaron had, was not because the Ethiopian woman was black. They could care less about that. Why? Because back then, they were smarter than us. Color didn't mean that much to them at all. Okay? It just didn't. Okay? What they were concerned about was the fact that she wasn't Jewish. Okay? That was their problem. Not realizing, though, that once she would uh, marry into... Uh, Moses' religion should be accepted as a Jew. But when they did this, when they got angry, okay, uh, Miriam and Aaron about this, God came down and chastised the both of them. That's right. Chastised the both of them. In fact, it says, uh, verse 6, Numbers 12 and 6, well, we'll start at verse 5. And the Lord came down in the pillar of the cloud and stood in the door of the tabernacle and called Aaron and Miriam, and they both came forth. And he said, Hear now my words. If there be a prophet among you, I, the Lord, will make myself known unto him in a vision and will speak unto him in a a dream. I'll read the rest of that right after this break.
6: Attention smokers who are fed up with drug side effects, expensive gimmicks, and wild product promises. Our client Marilyn used to smoke, but Alpha Lifestyle Center changed that forever. Smoking is like stealing happiness from your future, and it doesn't have to be that way. It's a lot easier to follow a great plan than to create one and she would tell you that a free online masterclass at QuitWithAlpha.com can change your life like it did for her. At QuitWithAlpha.com you'll discover a modern system for helping smokers transform themselves into people who want to quit smoking and who actually believe they can quit smoking for the most responsible reliable and exciting help to quit smoking available anywhere visit www.quitwithalpha.com to register for a free online masterclass you can watch immediately you don't have to see the whole staircase just take the first step at www.quitwithalpha.com
0: Chris McCourtney, team leader at Salem, Detroit, and Salem Surround, the fastest-growing digital ad agency in southeastern Michigan for sure. We've leveraged our long history here in Detroit and need great people with big goals and big ideas to help our partners get to their goals for 2021. Call or text me at 248-765-4388 and let's connect. We'll talk about excellence in executing for our multi-million dollar clients and our SMBs too. We're looking for leaders who want to grow with a fast-paced company. Selling experience is preferred but not required. Leadership and a hunger to be the best, that's not optional. We've got a solid, successful team, and we're looking to get even better. Is that you? Call or text me at 248-765-4388. That's 248-765-4388. Salem Surround is an equal opportunity employer.
7: hey it's laura story alaska will truly take your breath away if you've ever wanted to see grizzlies catching salmon or humpback whales leaping from the water i hope you'll join salem media group and our trusted partner inspiration cruises and tours this summer to experience all this and more as we draw closer to the creator for seven unforgettable days Go online to deeperfaithcruise.com to register worry-free until June 8th. deeperfaithcruise.com That number
5: to call, area code 866-423-9578. Area code 866-423-9578 to be on the air of Bible Talk with Pastor Emmy Moss. Um, let me repeat. The question was, what does the Bible say about interracial marriage? And I would say this, absolutely nothing. The Bible is not against interracial marriage. It's impossible for it to be because the Bible doesn't know anything about any interracial marriage or interracial people because, according to God's way of looking at it, there's only one race, the human race, okay? And so, therefore, the things of color, texture, skin, none of that means anything to God. However, what God is concerned about is there's a kind of marriage he does oppose, and that would be if you marry someone who is not a Christian. Now, of course, uh, I was reading you from Numbers where Miriam and Aaron, uh, they got in trouble because they were opposing Moses marrying an Ethiopian woman. But in order for her to marry Moses, they, she had to embrace Judaism, which, of course, made her a Jew, okay? uh, technically, in that sense. But God got so uh, angry at their prejudice that it says over in Numbers 12, and verse 5, And the Lord came down in the pillar of the cloud, and stood in the door of the tabernacle, and called Aaron and Miriam, and they both came forth. And he said, Hear now my words. If there be a prophet among you, I, the Lord, will make myself known unto him in a vision and will speak unto him in a a dream. My servant Moses is not so, who is faithful in all my house. With him will I speak mouth to mouth, even apparently, and not in dark speeches. And the similitude of the Lord shall he behold. Wherefore then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And the anger of the Lord was kindled against them, and he departed. Now, let me tell you something. God is angry at all of this stupid prejudicial stuff we have going around as well. okay, where uh, we're on somebody because they married somebody who was or because they were black. God could care less about the color of somebody's skin, okay, or their uh, national background. The important thing is, where do they stand in terms of, of Jesus Christ, all right? So, uh, what does the Bible say about interracial marriage? Zip, zero, absolutely nothing. And anyone who uh, opposes interracial marriage is doing something that is not correct, okay? What the Bible does say, though, is do not be unequally yoked. That's real clear, okay? Do not be unequally yoked, okay? Uh, Believer with unbeliever, okay? So that's the kind of marriage that God frowns upon, right? Find that over in 2 Corinthians chapter 6.14. It's very clear. It's very clear. Where it says, 2 Corinthians 6.14, Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness? Christians are supposed to marry Christians. That's what the Bible says, yeah? so that your kids can be raised as Christians. Um, A uh, a marriage between a Christian and somebody who is Muslim, uh, I don't think God's going to approve of that kind of a um, relationship. Number to call, area code 866-423-9578. We're going to take a break, and we'll be right back. If you're
7: in HR, Just go to bamboohr.com hr. This is a limited offer, only available to radio listeners at bamboohr.com hr. That's bamboohr.com slash hr.
5: That number to call, area code eight six six four two three nine five seven eight area code 866-423-9578, to be on the air Bible Talk with Pastor Emery Moss. Any question you have about the Word of God, if you want to ask it and you call quickly, you can be a part of this program. That can be a question about relationships, a question about what we just discussed with uh, Mr. uh, Smith, or any question you have about the Bible or theology at all. All you've got to do is call that number, area code 866-423-9578, Area code eight six six four two three nine five seven eight to be on the air. Bible Talk with Pastor Emery Moss. Um, next question is this, okay? Uh, here's one that should get some uh, some hairs moving. Do wives have to submit to their husbands? Do wives have to submit from, to, to their husbands? And as I say this right now, I'm looking at Sister Moss, okay? <laughs> she knows who's the boss around here. <laughs> she sure does, that's why I'm running on the time uh, remember the number to call 866 Code 9578 866-423-9578. 866-423-9578 to be on the air Bible Talk with Pastor Emory Moss uh, well, the answer to the question would be true okay? that definitely do wives have to submit to their husbands? sure, okay? he's the head of the household and things of that nature Okay, hopefully he's smart enough to know that uh, he needs some help (laughs) a lot of times from the wife. But here's what the Bible says, right? Over in Ephesians, and in Ephesians chapter 5, okay, we look at Ephesians chapter 5 and verse um, 22. It says, it says, women, you're out there listening. It says, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord.
2: Wow. Now, that's
5: a big one, right? So, make sure, you definitely want to make sure you marry a godly man, right? It says, okay, as unto the Lord. then, verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything, okay? So, the, answer, the straight answer to the question, okay, do wives have to submit to their husbands? Yes, yes. Now, does that mean that the husband just says it, the wife can't say anything, okay, or he makes all the decisions, okay? Uh, I don't think so, because in verse 25, you know, it continues, so make sure if your husband uses this verse, he's got to read it all, right, where it says in Ephesians uh, chapter 5 and verse 25, It says, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify it and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. So, yeah, so you love your wives, even as Christ loved the church, and then on this issue of submission, um, what happened is there's a verse I didn't read (laughs) that I should have. Maybe it was because I'm a male chauvinist and didn't want this to come out. Uh, That's not true. I just wanted to save it for last. Over to Ephesians chapter 5, and verse 20, it says this. Giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Then, verse 21, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. That's right. Even though the husband is the head, Okay, and the wife submits to him, but also there is mutual submission that is necessary in marriage. There's absolutely no doubt about that. There is a mutual submission. Okay, uh, so and sometimes, sometimes the husband needs to listen to the wife, and the Bible is quite clear about that. Right? Okay? Sister Mars is clapping. Why are you clapping about that? Uh, I'll talk to you. I'll take care of you later when the program is over. (laughs) Number to call, area code 866-423-9578. Area code 866-423-9578. Be on the air. Live with Pastor Amy Moss. I'll give you an example where God told a man to listen to his wife. Okay? Oh, yeah. Over in Genesis and in chapter 21, verse 9, And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, She had borne unto Abraham mocking. Wherefore, she said unto Abraham, Cast out this bondwoman and her son. For the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, even with Isaac. Remember that? She got got jealous at this. It's Hagar. Hagar uh, gave birth uh, to Abraham. And then when she bore, Sarah had her child. She said, Oh, no. We can't have this says verse 11 and the thing was very very grievous in Abraham's sight because of his son so here you know he didn't know what to do okay uh, Ishmael uh, you know became a uh, it was a problem right Sarah became jealous okay? and Hagar is the one who had the child now she was upset about it, okay? it says And God said unto Abraham, Let it not be grievous in thy sight, because of the lad, and because of the bondwoman, and all that Sarah hath said unto thee, hearken unto her. He was told to listen to his wife. So, friends, there is mutual submission in marriage. Don't let anybody fool you. Well, listen, our time is up. Great being with you. Remember to send donations to PO Box 05877 Detroit, Michigan 4205 to support this program. God bless you. We'll see you next time. sponsored by Bible Bootcamp Ministries The
4: following program is sponsored by Bible Bootcamp Ministries This is WLK
0: Three-star general Michael J. Flynn head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency knew all the government's dirty secrets He was one of the most respected generals in the military
1: Flynn knew what the Intel world had been up to he understood its funding he ordered the first audit of the use of contractors This set off alarm bells <laughs>